Hello and welcome to Dream City Omaha. My name is Vince. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. If this is your first time, whether in person or online, please let us know by sending us a message through social media or filling out the Connect card in your seat back. Now sit tight as service is about to begin. Without further ado, we're going to get into the word. We have the, the honor of, of hosting a, a man that I consider it a, a, an honor to be able to call my friend. We've, we've spent some time together, uh, some of it on the golf course, some of it over food, but every time it's been a great time. And uh, he pastors one of, one of the best churches, one of the greatest churches really across the nation out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Anybody from North Carolina? We got anybody watching from North Carolina today? Charlotte, North Carolina from Freedom House Church. Do me a favor, Dream City, if you would put your hands together and welcome this morning my friend Pastor Troy Maxwell. Hey, give it up for your pastor. Isn't he great? How many know that Pastor John has a lot of faith? How many know that? I mean, all you got to do is just look at his wife because he married way beyond himself, didn't he? I mean, man, I'm like, you know, I just like, wow. She's probably the second prettiest pastor's wife I've seen today because I look at the picture of my wife right here. Matter of fact, hey, let me introduce you to my family real quick. Um, I'm from Charlotte. I didn't see anybody raise their hand from North Carolina. Uh, I am checking off a bucket list. I am in Nebraska. I have never been to Nebraska before. I love your city. I love your state. It is beautiful. It's wonderful. Little too hot, to be honest. I was not expecting the heat and uh, Pastor John did beat me yesterday in golf, but that is what guests do when they come to town, is they allow the pastor to win. Um, so he didn't beat me in the score, but he did beat me in the game. So I just want to make that very clear so it kind of evens out across the board. Can we throw the picture of my family up here real quick and just show you real quick what my family, this is my, um, I'm old, so uh, I'm, all my kids are grown, grown up. So on the far, I guess it would be your right, is my son Colby. He's 24. That's his beautiful bride, Madison. On the far left is my son-in-law, Noah, and that is my daughter, Cabell. She's 22. Um, that's my beautiful bride right in the middle. And then my youngest, she's uh, Cassidy. She's at the bottom there, 20 years old. She's the last one left in the house. Amen. And I can't wait till she gets out in Jesus' name. And so I can have more freedom, amen, and, and a naked room. So uh, anyway, um, it's such an honor to be with you guys. Such, I love your pastor. I love what he stands for. I love uh, just the whole idea of um, discover, recover, and uncover. And today, I feel like maybe I can help you a little bit, take another step in your journey with God. Um, in 2006, something happened to me. I was on a trip to Guatemala, and I'd come basically in Guatemala. I was getting ready to relaunch this church, and I'd been to Guatemala a bunch of times. I love Latin America. I love that part of the world, and I'd supported some missionaries there. We'd done some work there, and then this pastor needed some help <clears throat> in relaunching his church, and so he was doing this big relaunch at this hotel, 
And he had me staying at this beautiful hotel in Antigua, which was about a 40-minute drive. I get in the car from Antigua, and in Latin America, if you've ever been to Latin America, everything's late. So the service started at 10, they picked me up at 10. So that just kind of gives you an idea. Everything is late in, in Latin America. And so he comes to pick me up, a beautiful car. We start driving down the mountain because Antigua's up on the top of this mountain. And I start feeling these weird feelings, like I'm going to throw up. I never get car sick. Um, I feel nauseous. I don't know what's going on inside of me. And we drive all the way there. I had to get them to stop a couple times because I didn't know if I was going to get sick or not on the trip, which never happens. Very odd for me to experience that. And so we drive to the meeting, and the service has been going now for about 30 minutes because we were 30 minutes late. Praise and worship is happening. And I get ready to walk into the door to get ready to preach. And I could not go through the door. I could not walk through the threshold of the door. Something was just like stopping me. I didn't know if it was spiritual. I don't know if it was me. I don't know what was going on. I went to the bathroom. Um, I, I came back out. I tried to walk in. They gave me some Pepto-Bismol. And I, basically, I just fought my way into the, uh, into the auditorium, the, the ballroom there. I preached. I don't remember anything that I said. Uh, and... I walked back to my hotel room and passed out for like three hours, and I didn't know what in the world is going on. I get back to Charlotte, North Carolina. Our church at the time was about four years old. We had started in 2002. We launched a church out of Richmond, Virginia. I started with about 30 people. At this time, we maybe had about three or 400 people that were attending, doing three services on a weekend in a cafetorium. And we were trying to buy some land in the process, and we needed to raise another $80,000. Now, I was, you know, we were doing everything. My wife and I were doing everything at the time for the church. And so this Sunday, after I get back from Guatemala, I get ready to walk up on the platform. Exact same thing happens. I mean, I'm like freaking out. I didn't know what was going on. My heart was racing. My hands were tingling. My feet were tingling. I walked out of the service. I actually could not preach that day. They had to do a testimony service. Whenever the pastor stands up and says, I need to do a testimony service, one of two things happen. Number one, um, he forgot to pray. Uh, number two, he didn't have a message that week. And so if that ever happens here at Dream City, you know that Pastor John just was not prepared. And so I didn't know what was going on. The next week, the same thing exactly happens. However, it started happening way before I got to church. Um, I'm in my, my bedroom getting ready. I get up pretty early on Sunday mornings to prepare and I'm um, in, my, in my closet, and I'm like in the corner of the closet because I didn't want my wife to know what was going on because the same thing happened last week, and I didn't know what would happen this week. And I'm kind of in this ball trying to figure out what's going on in my life. I get to church, same thing happens. I force myself to preach, but the Lord tells me to call a friend of mine named Pastor Jay. And Pastor Jay says, Troy, you're having a panic attack. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm not nervous about anything. I've never been sick a day in my life. I mean, I had a couple kidney stones. That's about it. Never really even broke a bone in my body. And he said, Troy, you're having a panic attack. And he gave me a list of things that you need, he needed to do, that I needed to do. Come to find out, this began a journey for me that I want to talk to you today about. Fifteen years ago, I started um, having anxiety attacks. I'm a pastor I'm a father. See, what happened with me is I realized that there's this wrestling match that we all deal with in our life. We want to be a hero, but we're human. And there's this tension that we have between the hero that we want to be and the human that we are. 
And I was in the middle of this battle, and because of trying to raise money for the building, trying to be the best husband, trying to be a father, trying to pastor this brand new church with no help, with no money. I was just beating myself up emotionally. I was beating myself up physically. I was worn out. And I began this journey that I actually wrote a book about last year uh, called The Panic Room. Um, And I realized if you know what a panic room is, a panic room is a place that you go to escape if somebody breaks into your home. But what I found out is sometimes the very place that you think that you're escaping to can be the prison that holds you in. And that happened with me in regards to anxiety. You know, last year was a very interesting year. Uh, we had a lot of problems in our country. I don't know if you, you know, remember last year. It was pretty challenging. But 2020 was one of the most difficult years. And when it comes to mental illness and depression and anxiety and panic, uh, it was an increase year. In L.A. alone, they had over eight, an 8,000% increase in suicide calls in L.A. Uh, in late June of 2020, 40% of U.S. adults reported struggling with mental health or substance abuse. Anxiety is the number one disorder in the world. Number one. There was a rise of, in last year alone, of people, it went over 60% of people that actually said to somebody, I'm dealing with depression, anxiety, or panic attacks. Depression alone cost the nation about $210 billion annually. Uh, Suicide is the second leading cause of death among people aged 10 to 34 in the U.S., second leading. It's the 10th leading cause across the board uh, of all Everybody in the U.S. Uh, Depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide. More than 70% of youth in juvenile justice system have been diagnosed with mental illness. I could go on and on about the statistics of the need to talk about this issue. And sadly, not a lot of people talk about it in the church. Not a lot of people deal with mental illness, depression, anxiety, panic in the church. And I dare say in this room alone, there's probably anywhere between every six out of ten of you have probably dealt with it in your lifetime or even right now you're going through it or you know somebody that's going through it. So why did I write this book? Okay, so first of all, I make no money from the book. It all goes to missions. I wrote this book for two reasons. Number one, so you can read the story of somebody and go, oh my gosh, if he can do it, I can do it. Because this guy's jacked up, you know. Like you read the book and you go, this guy's screwed up. How in the world is he pastoring a church? Well, I'm in Charlotte, so I'm not in Nebraska. So thank God. Look at your neighbor and say, thank God I don't live in Charlotte. So the second reason that I wrote it is I wanted you to hear the story of how my wife and I dealt with it. I dedicated two, two chapters in the book is her talking about how she related to me dealing with anxiety. See, there's lots of different reasons that we go through this. We deal with mental illness. There's physiological reasons. There's relational reasons. Some of you, you got some friends in your life, you just need to delete them from your life because they're causing you some major mental health issues. Now, sadly, some, we're born into families we didn't choose you know, so you can't just, you know, delete Uncle Joe, um, but, you know, you can just set some boundaries, come on somebody, and say, you know, how about one Thanksgiving every decade, and that's it. Um, physiological, behavioral, uh, there's environmental issues, uh, there's biological, 
And of course, there's the spiritual aspect, which is what I want to talk to you about today, okay? I don't have time to go through and talk about all of these issues. Now, here's the deal. Don't check out. Please don't check out if you say, well, I don't deal with this. Okay, well, you probably know somebody that does. So you might be able to help them a little bit. And obviously, if you're dealing with it, I don't want you to check out. And I want you to think of yourself any less than a hero than you really are because God believes in you. I believe in you, and I know your pastors believe in you. So maybe today could be the step where you just simply take a a step forward and go, hey, I need some help with this. Now, when I say fear, what is the first verse that you think of? First verse. When I think of fear, you probably think of what all of us think about if we're Bible readers, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. See, I want to talk to you today about how to conquer fear. In my opinion, okay, I believe fear is the at least the top one or two reasons why people deal with anxiety, depression, or um, mental illness, some type of mental illness, fear. Because I want to talk to you about fear because I want to share some things that the Bible tells us about fear. And so how do I conquer it? How do I destroy it? How do I annihilate this fear? Because a lot of people are dealing with fear uh, in their life, and they don't even know why this spirit has attacked them. And so when Paul writes this little note to Timothy, understand Paul wrote two books to Timothy, or two letters to Timothy. One was to instruct him, one was to inspire him. Timothy was Paul's kind of mobster, I like to call him, maybe his fixer, because Timothy was the guy that Paul sent into churches to fix the church. So he was a young guy that would be sent into like Philippi, fix the church, Timothy. He's young, and he's got to go deal with these people who are jacked up. Corinth, he had to go in there, fix that. Thessalonica, he had to go in there and fix it. He was Paul's fixer, but he struggled with some stuff. And we obviously know he struggled with fear because Paul, you know, spent an entire chapter talking to him about fear. So I want you to look at this. Um, you can look on the screens. You can cheat off a Christian beside you. But look at 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. Here's what he says. I want to give you the whole context of this verse as opposed to just pulling out that one verse and talking about that. He says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. Without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. Isn't it good to know somebody's praying for you? Wave at me if you, if you know, that you know that somebody's praying for you. Not, not the fake, I'll pray for you, and then they forget about you. I'm talking about the person who says they pray for you, and then you can feel their prayers. I love, I love to know people are praying for me. Greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. Notice what he says in verse 5. When I call to remembrance, I love this verse, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. Everybody look at me for a second. Here's what I know about you right now. I know that you have enough faith to deal with any problem that you're going through right now. I want you to hear this. I want to give you some hope. You have enough faith to deal with any difficulty you're going through right now. How do I know that? Because God would never allow you to be in the difficulty if you didn't have enough faith to get out of it. So Paul tells Timothy right off the bat, hey, I know there's some genuine faith in you. I know that there's some pure faith in you. You may not believe it, but I believe for you. And then then he goes on to say, look at what he says next. 
He says, I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. And then he goes, well, if you don't believe that, Paul, uh, Timothy, it first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois. So if you don't believe you have enough faith, I want to let you know that there's some grandma faith out there for you. Let me tell you, grandma faith hold another level of faith. Okay, if you know a grandma, I'm not going to point out anybody that may be a grandma because I don't want to make a mistake and you get mad at me. Um, but I had a grandma. Her name was Mimi. She's gone on to be with the Lord. Uh, she's in heaven right now. She's watching this service live stream uh, from heaven. She told me I'm her second favorite pe preacher, Pastor John. I'm her second favorite. Joel Osteen's her number one. And I'm not offended because he's pretty good. So, but Mimi had faith. She had a little Bible she's read every day. If I brought a girl over that she didn't like, she let me know. And I knew that she would just pray her out of my life within minutes. <laughs> By the time I left, she was gone out of the picture. That's what grandma faith can do. So listen, if you know your grandma has some faith, don't be taking your girl that you like over there, the boy that you like over there, because he will, he, she will pray her, him out of your life. I could tell when Mimi didn't like her. She's like, oh, I don't know if I like this. I could just see it in her eyes. I'm like, crap, she's gone. <laughs> Done. Okay, so, so look, it says, Greatly, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwell first in your grandmother Lois, if you didn't believe that there was faith in you, your grandma has faith, and your mother Eunice has faith. So there's grandma faith, and then there's mama faith. Mama's got a red phone to God. Okay, if you didn't know this when you were growing up, your mom was in your room anointing your pillow with oil, putting scriptures underneath your mattress, you know, whatever that she needed to make sure that you wouldn't get drunk Friday night and Saturday night. She was making sure that's because that's, that's mama kind of faith. In other words, in other words, what Paul is telling Timothy here, and I want you to catch this, is you've got a lineage of faith that you can rely on. You say, well, I don't, I'm a first generation Christian. I am. I'm kind of a first-generation Christian. My grandmother had some faith. My mom was not saved. My dad was not saved. If you don't believe that you have a biological lineage of faith, you have a spiritual lineage of faith. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Joshua, Daniel, my shack, your shack, Abednego, all of them. You know, they all had faith. And guess what? Guess what? You benefit from that faith. You benefit from that. So he says, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, whenever you see a therefore, you check what it's there for. I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Timothy, there was a moment, I don't know if you remember Timothy, but there was a moment during a, a worship service where you came up and I laid my hands on you and there was a deposit made in you. God touched you in that moment. Don't ever forget that moment. Something happened in you. How does that translate to you and me? Something happens in services. Something happens in a life group. All of us have those moments. We all have those pillar moments in our life that we can draw from. And that's what Paul is trying to direct Timothy to remember is that, Timothy, you've got the faith that's necessary and there's a gift in you. There's a gift in you. I want to remind you, stir it up. Stir up that gift. For God, verse 7, has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed 
of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. See, do not fear is mentioned, is the most repeated command in the Bible. 103 different times God says, do not fear. He tells Abraham, hey, don't fear, Abraham. I'm sending you to this new place. You've never been there. You've got to leave your mom. You've got to leave your dad. You've got to leave your family, your nation. But I'm sending you into a new nation. Abraham, do not fear. You don't have to fear the unknown. You don't have to fear uncertainty. Okay, he told, he told, he told the Israelites, don't fear. They wandered around in the desert for 40 years because they, they had a fear of loss, what they were missing. That's what I, when I bump into people who don't know Jesus and they're kind of right on the edge, a lot of them are in fear of what they may lose. What they don't realize is what they'll gain through a relationship with God. But what they're afraid of is what they may lose in the process. Moses, do not fear. Moses killed an Egyptian. 40 years out in the desert, God says, I want you to go back to the scene of the crime. Okay, you don't go back to the scene of the crime. Why? Because you don't have to fear your past. This was the command. He said, do not fear. David, don't fear. You're the anointed king, but you don't have to fear Saul. I know he's trying to kill you, throw spears at you, you know, do all this crazy stuff, but you don't have to fear because you don't have to fear man. Do not fear. Joshua, do not fear. Daniel, do not fear. See, the problem, problem is people are feeding their fears instead of feeding their faith. What has happened in our culture over the last 18 months is media has become people's pastors. That's what happened over and over. Media, what we're hearing, the politics has become people's pastors. Issues have become people's pastors, and it's caused them to get in a position of fear instead of faith. So here's the question that I think we all have to ask ourselves. How much time are you spending researching your fears instead of researching your faith? How much time? Because we have this book called the Bible that's full of faith, that's built around faith. Why should we fear? Psalms 34 verse 4 says this, I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. Okay, so if you're, if you're like me, I, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, Troy, does that mean that I can't be pragmatic or realistic or sensible? Let me, let me pose this to you. Let me, let me just ask you to think about this. What should, be, what should we be realistic about as a believer? So if you're a Christian today, if you're a believer, you're, you're born again, what should you be realistic, sensible, pragmatic about? Because God gave us reason for a reason, you know. He gave us the ability to think for a reason. Does that mean we just, you know, COVID's not real? No. See, when you become a Christian, you exchange one reality for a new reality. You exchange what you see, what you feel, and what you hear for what's called the spirit realm, which now we know as believers is more real than the natural world. So here's the question that we have to be. It doesn't mean that we ignore or are unrealistic about what's going on around us, but what we do put our emphasis on is what's happening behind the curtain. 
and that you and I have been given authority to deal with what is behind the curtain. Are you following me? Because we understand if, if these things cause me to have depression or to fall into a place of anxiety and panic, then I've got to deal with what's behind the curtain more than what I see, what I feel, and what I hear. So let's break this passage down. There's four quick parts, and then I'll be done, okay? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. This is a very important verse. I want you to throw it up on the screen for me if you could, because I want us all to read this together. Can we do this all together? Is that okay if we do it real quick? I know, it's, it's like call and response, but if you're a Baptist like I used to be, you understand what I'm talking about. All right, so let's read this all together. Ready? One, two, three. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Y'all sound fantastic. Can we do it one more time? One more time? I want to hear you do it one more time. Ready? One, two, three. For God. And a sound mind. Give yourselves a hand. You did so good. Woo. All right, let's talk about this. Okay, let's talk about this. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Fear is a spirit that wants to take the place of God. Understand this, fear is not an emotion. It's a spirit that wants to take the place of God. It wants to interject itself. Now, it can cause you to feel emotions like being out of control or, or chaos or confusion. It can cause an emotion, but it is not an emotion. God calls it a spirit for a reason because what the spirit of fear wants to do is exchange it for God. It wants to put itself in the position of God in your life as opposed to God being God in your life. Now we see this in the book of Genesis because of where fear came from. If you remember the story, Adam and Eve are frolicking through the, 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 the Garden of Eden. They're enjoying everything, you know, it's beautiful, no humidity, it's like 75 degrees, it's gorgeous. They got all these trees to eat. And God says, hey, don't eat the tree of the knowledge of good. And they go, okay, God, you're awesome. And then the serpent slipped, you know, slips in there and says, hey, Eve. And this is what God, this is what the enemy always does to us. This is the question he will always pose to you to try to get you into a position of fear. Here's the question. The question is, did God really say that? Did God really say that? Did he indeed say that if you eat of this tree, then you'll, you'll, uh, you'll just get messed up. You'll, you'll, th this will all happen. Did he really say that? Did he really say that? Did he really say that? He goes through a lineage of things, you know, a few, few things he says. And then Eve takes, you know, you know the story. She takes of the fruit of the tree. She gives it to her husband. He takes of the fruit. They immediately realize they're naked. And then God does what he has done for, I don't know, thousands of years. We don't know how long they've been there. And so he shows, he shows up walking through the garden and says, hey, Adam, where are you? Because that's the question God asks humanity all the time, where are you? It's not because God doesn't know where Adam is, it's because Adam doesn't know where Adam is. And so he, you know, that's why he asked the question, where are you? And it's not because God misplaced Adam. Did I put him here? Did I put him in Mars? Did I put him on Neptune? No. He knew exactly where he put Adam. But Adam didn't know where, because Adam's hiding, right? Do you remember what happened after that? He calls out to him, where are you, Adam? 
And Adam says, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid. First, first instance of fear in the Bible. The first instance of fear in mankind's life. Because fear wants to exchange itself with God. It wants to put you in a position where you receive it instead of God's word for you. So fear gives you anxiety, but God gives you peace. So any, any moment that God wants to give you something, fear is going to try to step in and go, no, 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 did he really say that? Okay, so God says, I'm going to give you three things. Real quick, I got about nine minutes. Three, three things. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of, and of a sound mind. Okay, power. And by the way, you can always tell Follow me here. You can always tell when you're operating in a spirit of fear when the opposite of what God gave you is is happening in your life, okay? What I mean by that is you know that you're succumbing to the spirit of fear when you lack power, when you lack love, and when you lack clarity or reason or soundness of mind. Are you following me? So he says, first of all, I'm gonna give, God gives me power. Power. Fear makes you feel powerless. Fear will rob you of the possibilities of God. Fear takes the smallest things and makes it feel like they are the biggest things. Fear amplifies. But God gave you power. He gave you power. Power. I believe there's two levels of power. There's positional power and transactional power. In the Bible, in the New Testament, it calls it authority and power, or the miracle-working power of God. Remember, the Old Testament written in Hebrew, translated into English, New Testament written in Greek, translated into English. The two Greek words that are translated power or authority, the first is exousia. Everybody say exousia. This is the authority or the position that you sit in. You have authority, not because of anything you've done. Realize that. It's not how good you are, how many times you pray today, how many times you went to church this month. It's not how much you served. It's not how much you gave. Your authority doesn't come from what you do. It comes from who you are under Jesus. So Jesus said this in Luke chapter 10, behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Behold, I give you the exousia, But then he also says, I'm going to give you power. Or in the Greek, it's the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get words like dynamite. It's the miracle working power of God. So you've got exousia, authority, but you also have this dunamis or or this power, this miracle working power of God in you. So God God says this in Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power or dunamis that works in you. Okay, so let me give you an example of what this looks like. Anybody ever been pulled over by a cop? Raise your hand if you've ever been pulled over by a policeman. Okay, just about everybody. Y'all, y'all need to get saved here in Omaha. Good gracious. Bunch of lawbreakers here. What you doing over here, Pastor John, with all this? Okay, cop comes, he you know, pulls you over, right? You don't get out of the car. Ten and two, right? Hands visible. Amen. You don't pull your camera out and start videoing. It's not what you do. Why? Because he has authority. Why does he have authority? He's got this badge right here on his, on his chest. And it has a picture 
usually of the city or the state that he's representing. And the reason that he has authority is because he's under authority. In other words, he's walking out there carrying the weight of the whole city. So at any minute, he can go, break a one nine. Um, we've, got, we've got, you know, Pastor John Weasel here, and uh, he's acting up a little bit. Can I, can I get another five squad cars over here? And within a minute, he'll be, they'll be over here, right? In just a minute. Why? Because he's got authority. He's got exousia. Now, should you not listen to the exousia, should you decide to go out on your road? He's also got some dunamis right here. Are you following me? This is what you look like too. When you face a problem, a difficulty that the enemy has put in front of you, you've got exousia right here because you're under authority. You're a servant of the living God. And should the enemy not listen to your exousia, he also gives you some dunamis right here so that when you pray in the name of Jesus the miracle working power of the Holy Spirit flows through you not because of what you did but because of who you are to deal with what you to to push fear right out of your life anxiety has to go panic has to go depression has to go why because I have exousia and I have dunamis are you following me Number two, God loves me. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. When I think of love, I think about 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect love. What's perfect love? Mature, full-grown, perfect, complete love. Here's the sad thing. Okay, you'll never find that in a person. No matter how sweet she is, how cute she is, no matter how green his eyes are, how handsome he is, how much he says he's going to take care of you, the human heart is wicked. We're going to fail. There's only one person that you can experience perfect, mature, full love in, and that is in the graces of God Almighty through our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so when we experience God's love, then no fear can attach itself to you. So let me ask you the question. Do you believe God loves you? Then why are you afraid? Why would you ever fear if you know God loves you? Why would you ever fear getting sick? I'm not saying we don't use wisdom. That's not what I'm talking about. Why would you ever fear not having enough money? Why would you ever fear being alone? Why would you ever fear anything? Because perfect love casts out all fear. If God, see, see the question, we, we, we fear questions God love for us. If he loved me, then why would I lose my job? Well, maybe he's got a better one for you. Well, if he loved me, then why did she walk out on me? Again, we're trying, did God really say that? See, the more you know God loves you, the less things around you will affect you. So every new level of love you experience, the things around you don't affect you. They, they, they have less and less impact on your life. Second aspect of love is fear. I mean, a fear is fear makes you selfish. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. Indifference is a lack of interest, concern, or sympathy. 
Fear makes you selfish. I'm almost done. Carl Menninger, who was one of the leading psychiatrists in the field of uh, mental illness, depression. He was one of the, in the early 1900s, he wrote many books around depression when nobody was talking about it. PTSD, nobody was talking about it. Um, they didn't even have names for it back then. He was the one that created those names. He was asked the question, if somebody is dealing with suicidal thoughts, what should they do? And everybody around thought he needs to get, they need to get a counselor and they need to get some help. Here's what he said. Here's what he said. The, 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 if you're dealing with suicidal thoughts, he responded, you need to get up. You need to get out of bed, get out of the house, and go find someone who is in trouble and go help them. In other words, the best way to find meaning in your life is to help someone find meaning in theirs. That's why it's so important to serve in church. Going through depression, don't just sit and go, woe is me. Go find somebody and help them to get free. Help them get out of their situation because the moment that you find purpose, you uncover your purpose then what ends up happening is you now see because of what you did in someone's life. That's what happens with panic and anxiety is those things. See, what the enemy's trying to do is steal your purpose away from you by holding you locked. One of the visions that I used to have all the time when I was dealing with panic and anxiety was I was in a room without a doorknob. I could not find the doorknob. I couldn't get out of the room. The door was there, but I had no way of getting out. The last thing that he says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God gives me clarity. Fear will always be disguised as rational thought. If I could get the keyboard guy with the Abraham Lincoln beard, that'd be awesome. <laughs> love it, man. I love it. Sorry, that, that doesn't offend you or anything. I just, I love that beard, man. That's, that's sweet looking. <laughs> right here, buddy. What's your name? Luis, I love it, I love it. Keep growing that bad boy out. <laughs> Sorry. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, a sound mind. Fear will always be disguised as rational thought. Why? Because there's always gonna be a reason to be afraid, always. That's why you have to rely on faith. You gotta rely on faith. Okay, listen to me very closely. Faith is not about getting something done. That's the mistake. Because if we only think of faith in getting something done, we'll miss the very person who is behind getting something done. So what ends up happening to people who find themselves in depression or anxiety or, or panic is they put faith in their faith as opposed to faith in God. Okay, so what does that mean? That means that you and I have to realize that not everything that you pray for is necessarily gonna happen. And that's a struggle for people because I, what I grew up in is that if something didn't happen you prayed for, you didn't have enough faith. And I realized very close, you know, in the last 15 years, 20 years, 30 years of being a Christian, I realized that's a misappropriation of my faith. 
to misappropriation. So about seven years into my panic attacks, I stopped taking medication. I thought I could do it all on my own. I thought I could fix myself. And you know what? I did okay for a little bit. I managed for about two or three years. And I hit a wall. Like, I started abdicating. Is that the word? Ab, ab, abdicating? Like pulling away from my responsibilities. I started trying to medicate or, you know, through addictions and different things, try to fix myself because I didn't want to deal with the shame of the panic attacks. I don't want to talk about it to anybody. I'm a pastor, man. I'm leading this big church and doing all this stuff. And, and things were going good, honestly, but they weren't going good for me inside. So my wife finally got this guy to come in and tell me, Troy, you know, what are you doing? He didn't use those words. He might have cussed at me a little bit, I'm just saying. But he was a good friend. He says, you need to get back on medication because you're not normal. You need to get right. You need to get back into counseling. You need to do this because you're hurting your family, you're hurting your church, you're hurting yourself. God loves you and he has so much more for you. And I'm saying the same thing to somebody out here today. God loves you. He cares about you. Enough to send a guy from North Carolina to tell you it's okay to stop hiding behind the tree. God's word really does say you can be free and healed. So could you just stand with me real quick? Just real quick. And I want to invite you. And if you could just close your eyes. Close your eyes if you could. Nobody looking around. Just close your eyes. It's between you and God, nobody else. It doesn't matter if you're a leader here, you've been in this church for 15 years, you, whatever, it doesn't make any difference. I've been a Christian all my life. No, no. If you're struggling with mental illness, if you're struggling with depression, anxiety, panic, and Pastor John, could you come on up here real quick? <clears throat> um, if you're dealing with that, I want, I want, I want to pray for you. I'm not gonna have you come up front because I think that might even cause some anxiety or panic or something like that. But I wanna pray for you. So if that's you, I, I want you to do something. I'm just gonna be bold. I want you just, just if you could, I'm gonna count to three. And if you say, that's me, I need prayer today. I'm ready to take the step. Now, I don't know what that step is. And maybe you don't know what it is, it is either. But you're committing today here in this moment that I'm going to take the next step. I'm gonna tell somebody what's going on in my world. I'm gonna ask for some help. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna turn the knob. I'm gonna walk out of that room. I'm gonna count to three. If that, you say that's me, I just want you to raise your hand. Ready? One, two, three. Raise your hand. Just leave your hand up. Leave, leave that hand up. And could you do me a favor? Could you lift up the other hand? Just saying, I surrender. I give it up. I give it up to you, God. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for every person here today. God, I pray for deliverance. I pray for freedom. I break the spirit of fear off of their life. I command the spirit to be released over them, off of them. I command the spirit of oppression, depression, anxiety, panic to be removed now in Jesus' name. I use the authority, God, that you've given to me the dunamis God, the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit to just inject life and freedom and joy 
and peace and comfort in Jesus' name to every person. God, let there begin a work of healing in their life right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we release the power of God. As a church family, we stand with them. As a church community, we stand with them. In Jesus' name. Come on, lift your hands up to heaven. Just let the power of God come over you. The spirit of the living God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for freedom and deliverance. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Did you appreciate that word today? Come on. Pastor Troy, thank you so much. Pastor Aaron, thank you for, for being here as well. Listen, if, if, if that was you, if you raised your hands and, and you prayed that prayer and God broke something over you, Pastor Troy's talking about taking the next steps. How do, I take, how do I take my next step? On the seat in front of you, there's some response cards, connect cards. Take one of those cards, fill that out, check a box, drop it in the offering bin on your way out. One of our staff will be in contact with you to let you know what that next step for you looks like. Maybe you just need to start serving and giving yourself to something and starting to, to uncover that purpose in your life. Uh, on your way out, there's a, a table set up out there, Pastor Troy's books out there, the panic room. You're not going to be disappointed. For those of you that, that, that are wondering, there's no pictures in it. Um, and so it, it's not a picture book, but it, is, but it is a great book. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. Stop by, pick one of those up. Be blessed. Have a great week. Love you guys. See you next week.